with the good hair. Oh, don't get me started. Girl. I got a microphone <laughs> too. God, put it on right now. I have it put paused it on. on. I have put it paused on, on that TV. Two and a half hours worth it. <laughs> don't make me nose your ass up in here. You're not ever gonna get out of here if I turn it on. <laughs> girl, we be dun, learning all the dances. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> should know about now (laughs) if this is your first episode um welcome yes thank you for listening a little slack but not much um episode two season three god damn how about that man we made it yeah we did i keep thinking that nobody's gonna listen and some there's just always those just few followers and you're getting there you know that's why i keep doing it yeah game momentum plus it's fun we have a good time. It is fun. And I learned a lot today at Revolution Spirits. I don't yeah. know about you, but I learned a lot. Yeah. About some gin and liqueur and Amaro. Yes. Amaro. Not Romero. <laughs> Careful there, Chris. Don't Amaro. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Romero. Right. Um, But yeah, we had a great time at Revolution Spirits. That interview is coming up shortly. Thanks for joining us. Um. What's going on, Sal? Uh, How's it going? Pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. Good. Debating whether I'm going to get my ACL ticket. Oh, yeah. Well, it's kind of a tradition for us to go. Last year, we went solo for like the first time, and it was pretty chill. We were old people. We hung out in the shade. Yeah. You had to take it easy. You are transitioning yeah. into that. <laughs> it's hard. That's a hard three days, it man. Is. It's hot yes even in october Mm -hmm. rain might pop up whenever right as it pleases you got to pack it in and now security is way tight don't get me started on security yeah it's not it's not like the good old days and i say that as a veteran of acl uh it's it's just not the same no and that's disappointing yeah but it's always like when we got the tickets, we were like, "Hey, we're going to ACL." What do you think about the lineup, Sal? Ooh, it's dicey for me. Yep. I'm I'm not a big fan of uh, the Guns and Roses being on. We're not the- friends, <laughs> girl. You know that's my shit. I do know that's your shit. It would have been my shit circa 1989. <laughs> Before Axl Rose was a hot goddamn mess. Don't you dare. I know. I know. I'm treading on some. Did you dare talk about him and his core rose? Okay. <laughs> or whatever is what the are, case may be. I don't know. He still got the moves, girl. You'd still do I that. I know. Snake. He can snake. <laughs> I'm they, just saying. I would have thought it would have been a, a different headliner. Yeah. Well, they have to have a dad band. They do, but man, really? the dad bands have been killing it the last few years. We went last year, and Metallica was. Oh, I saw that show when, on when I worked it. Point. Yeah, I don't. Metallica is like, but that's, that's Red a, Hot Chili Peppers. That's was another amazing. different level. I mean, even Paul McCartney and he's like Grandpa. Oh yeah, oh. he was. <laughs> Paul McCartney killed it. Yeah. I got to see that show too, because I was working, <laughs> um, and I thought it. Both of those bands, yeah. both nights killed it yeah i just I, I don't know i mean i don't feel like 
Axl Rose is in his prime, whereas oh, Paul no. McCartney and even still, I'm so sorry, I don't know the lead singer of Metallica's name. <laughs> yes, thank you. Is <laughs> they're they're you know still making music and still writing and yeah. still producing and touring. And touring yeah. And I I don't know. I was not really like, oh, let me just go out and purchase yeah. my ticket. I mean, I probably will end up working both weekends, so come see me if you're out at ACL in October. Yeah. Um, but. I mean, a, a single day pass to see Childish Gambino Ooh. or Muffin and Sons. I heard Tame they, Tame Impala, yeah. totally. Don't I'm, forget about my girl. <laughs> Cardi B, yes, girl. I do like me She better some, show up on time. I don't think she will. She better. Well, she better because she's not going to have a long set. <laughs> I mean, you only got 45 minutes at ACL. This ain't fucking. And she doesn't have a long, a good history of showing up on time, Mm-mm. a.k.a. Gina in Houston. <laughs> That's a side story. But. You know, I I would love to see Cardi B. I would also like to see a lot of these bands doing their in-between shows throughout yeah. the city in between those. Yeah, the late night shows. Yeah, the late stuff. night shows. Yeah. So we'll see, you know, um, Casey Musgraves. I'm a huge fan of her. She's here in town. I would really like to see her. Um, Lizzo. Yeah. Oh, Texas. Man, that is my girl. She has blown up. We saw her two years ago. Like, South by Southwest. Two years ago. Three, yeah. Well, we started at ACL. Like she was on a Sunday, like, like early, at ten o'clock in the morning. Yeah, like super early, yeah. getting it. Like, high. I love her. Like hardly a crowd. I mean, this year she's definitely gonna have a bigger that new crowd. That Juice. I'm all about it, yes. girl. That yes. is my shit. I'm excited to see Lizzo. Yeah. Like now that she's like mainstream and. I just don't want her to lose who she oh, is. No. I don't want her to lose her sound or nah, her sell she, out. I don't think so. She's naked on the cover of W Magazine. Uh, it's fucking gorgeous. It's beautiful. Cellulite out. Boop yes. On. Yes. Ass out. Love I love it. it. <laughs> Big yeah, fan. It's going to be fan. fan. Lizzo, follow us. We're talking <laughs> about you, girl. We love you. Yeah. For those who are not like Austin, if we have any... Um, people from other parts of the country listening. ACL is our shit, like our festival. Yeah. Austin City Limits. Um, once a year, October. They, I think, recently, like five years ago, they started doing two weekends. Is mm. that always? Yeah, I wouldn't even think five years ago. Probably like maybe three years ago, yeah. it became two weekends. Um, it's been as early as September. It's mm-hmm. been as late as mid October. Yeah, you're running the gamut on. It's either going to rain out or you're going to have beautiful weather. Yeah. I mean, it just depends. Zilker Park. It's nice. Yeah. It's it's intense. It's a lot. I mean, you when you come in, you're trekking in for a, a, a big festival. And yeah. I haven't gone to any other. I haven't gone to Coachella. I haven't gone to Bonnaroo. I didn't. You don't want to go to Woodstock? <laughs> no, they canceled that. No, it's back on. Oh, who funded it? The owner is like, the show will go on. What? But I mean, yeah, still, and it's supposed to be in a couple months. Okay, well, maybe it's another fire fest. fest. (laughs) Uh, What else? We're thinking about getting a pet or two pets. Get the fuck out of here, really? Guinea pigs. (laughs) That ain't pets. That is not a pet. Well, you know, for your something low maintenance. Yeah, yes, I agree. Studio apartment. You should get a snake. No, I'm just. I wanted a snake. They're stinky. <laughs> my next door neighbor growing up had a big, huge yellow boa. Oh shit! I, yeah, it was bow python. Huge. Yeah. Like so huge. Did you? Have, you probably had like. No, I didn't have a million pets. N- no. No. Mm-mm. Well, I have a huge livestock, but my sister, my oldest sister, had uh, ball pythons, mm-hmm. um, and I can remember visiting her as a teenager, and the snake like I would get it out and Mm -hmm. play with it and hang out with it I mean that snake when she would bartend would rest on her shoulders that's how fucking cool my older (laughs) sister was she was a hot ass bitch slinging cocktails in a stripper bar this huge fucking snake draped around her shoulders and then when she moved back up north uh, to Dallas to the Dallas area um when I would go visit her I would take that snake out and I would be hanging out and thought I was just the coolest fucking shit right and Sometimes I would end up with that snake like sleeping with me, and everybody's like, uh, "You know that motherfucker could have choked you out." I was like, "I don't know." Right out. I just kind of passed out on that good old goldfogger. Like he does. 
I don't know. But we I never had pets, exotic animals yeah. like that. We dogs, cats, rabbits. Did you guys have like horses? And stuff? Oh yeah, horses definitely. Cattle because we had the farm. Mm-hmm. So and and still to this day we still have. I mean I still have I know so. Um, you know, we still have animals on the farm, mm-hmm. but um, that that we never had anything exotic. Yeah. Now, actually, at, at Crook Farm, where the where the stables were, the horses that we raced, we there were peacocks out there. Really? Yeah, and chickens and That's roosters. So cool. Oh yeah, we had tons of like crazy farm animals on Crook Farm. Yeah. So nothing like that at at our house at Dad's. So oh. I've always lived in the city, so like whenever I see any animal, I'm like, what? A deer? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you it's have a so deer pretty, in your yard, wow. that's pretty fucking amazing. Yeah. Yeah, we just, we wanted a pet, but we really can't do dogs. Like, everybody has a dog in our apartment complex, and it's just, I think there are more dogs than people, honestly. Oh, probably. <laughs> we find, if we do our laundry downstairs in, like, the communal laundry, mm-hmm. laundry area, there there's always dog hair, like, all over our stuff. It's crazy. That That's one thing. We live in a studio apartment. Like, we have crazy schedules. It's just a lot of responsibility. And then I had the cat from hell. So, yeah, kind so of. Snicks. Snickerdoodle. <laughs> shout out to Snickers. Snicks. If you Rest still out peace. there. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. That's right. That cat could still be I mean, I'm sorry, Snicks. I would like to think. I was going to pour some juice out for you, but. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. Speaking sorry, of no. juice. <laughs> what we got for these pours today? What you got over there in that cup? Well, I got my new Texas Yeti Ooh. cup. I got this at uh, Dishbox Field like beautiful. two weeks ago at baseball. Hell yeah. Fucking you buy it, and then they give you half they off your up? cocktail. Yeah, girl, they <laughs> fill it up. And then every time you can bring your cup back, it's like half off the drink. Oh, dang. So I'm going to be like, more please. Shout out to Yeti, another Austin Absolutely. Look at that. Fave. UT. How about that? Sorry, UT. Um, <laughs> I can't probably hashtag that. Um, <laughs> so I'm drinking Revolution Spirits Gin. Ooh, ooh. That's uh, I purchased that today and mixed it with some a little bit of lemonade. I'm not gonna say a lot of lemonade. Um, it's pretty. It's pretty fucking good. I don't know which um, the reserve. Yeah, gin? the reserve. Nice. Yeah, I got nice, the nice. 750 milliliter bottle over there. <laughs> the big one. The big Grinning one. Grinning at me. Look at it. It's looking good. It's right over there. Hey, girl. I see you. Hey, I see you, girl. <laughs> All right. Uh, what what I are got you over? drinking? Um, it's called Tasty Waves. It's a summer ale from Carbox. It's one of their seasonals. It's pretty, pretty tasty. I'm ready for summer. Honestly, like, are you? I'm ready for summer beers, for sours. Oh, I'm ready for a good sour. Mm-hmm. I need to, we need to get tapped into that. Yeah, it's time. It's time. I bought Not that. today, though. It's like. No, it's like fucking pouring. It's already it's dark, dark outside. outside. <laughs> it's like even six o'clock. Um, I bought that beer in Longview, Texas at Harley's Liquor Store. And I was looking in there and perusing because Harley's is trying to have an up, come, mm-hmm. coming up in their beer selection. So kudos to them. And I couldn't find anything, really, I was interested in. And that one caught my eye. And I gave it a shot. And I loved it yeah, immediately. Yeah, it's really good. And I brought it back. And I haven't seen it here in town at yeah, all. Yeah, I haven't seen this one. But so. Yeah. Honestly, I haven't. You haven't been out looking? No. Well, clearly this is. <laughs> we're living in the house of booze. So. Booze galore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm delicious though yeah so and i can't talk to mike because he doesn't have a mic so but he's drinking uh independence reaper madness and at first when he picked this beer he goes hey can i have this beer and i said sure and i go what is it he goes reaper madness and i thought he said reefer <laughs> madness and i was like that's a different podcast <laughs> uh, i don't know if i want you to podcast. drink that beer there's reefer in it <laughs> But that's what he's drinking. He says it's Black IPA. Yeah, it's different. I never even heard of it or knew that it was in there. Was there another one in there? <laughs> Hot damn. All right. I'm excited about that. 6.66%. Ooh. Ooh uh-uh. six, Get out six, of this six. fucking house. I got to sage that shit before Janie gets home. Right now. <laughs> so you're saging. That's not saging. All right. We're good. <laughs> um. Well, this month we're not gonna do a giveaway um 
just kind of kind of nixed that idea we figure if you guys are listening we really appreciate it um but we didn't have much luck last month with the giveaway so maybe we'll introduce that once we get a little bit more listeners yeah i agree yeah, yeah so we do appreciate y'all listening keep it up um of course we're on facebook and twitter and instagram um but Today, we have uh, Revolution Spirits, which is really awesome to interview um, Brian and Aaron over South Austin, South, way Southwest Austin. Yeah. Um, you Road, girl. Yes. Definitely worth the trip. Um, great gin. I had, we had like three shots <laughs> and two cocktails and yeah. I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah, it was yeah. great. They have a great location. They have outside tables, and they're right next to a brewery that's Last right there. Stand Last brewery, stand, yeah. yeah. And uh, make it a day. Go out there. Visit everybody that's around Jester there. Jester King is out there. Right down the street, yeah. Mm-hmm. Auger Cider is out there. Um, yeah, totally check it out. It's well worth it. Yeah. Keep listening to see what Brian and Aaron have to say. Hi, this is Blank Over Booze. This is Sally. And Ashley, and we are here at Revolution Spirits with uh, Brian and Aaron. Thanks so much, much for joining us, y'all. So you guys are southwest of Austin, correct? Right off mm-hmm. of 290 Fitzhugh Road. Mm-hmm. Um, how long have you been in this location? We've been here five years, actually. We just celebrated our fifth anniversary um, last month. Oh, congrats. Yeah. Have y'all been just here? or? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, this was the original location that we found. Great. Perfect. And are you both originally from Austin? I'm originally from North Texas, Arlington, Texas, but I've been in Austin since uh, the early 90s. Mm-hmm. So you're and, in. Yeah. yeah. So in. <laughs> you are. Exactly. Uh, it I'm, kicks uh, me out, but lets me make it. <laughs> I'm the, uh, I grew up in South Florida. I've been here since 2008. Nice. Again, you're in. <laughs> I've been here since 06, so I call myself I'm an inner. So. Mm-hmm. Not quite. And yeah. also have made yourself the judge of the cutoff. <laughs> I, am, I am the official judge of the cutoff of if you're in, you're in, if you're not. Like, nope, quit moving in. Quit moving here. Stop moving. The drawbridge needs mm-hmm. to raise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got it. Um, so, what did you do before you started Revolution Spirits? What were we doing before? Uh-huh. Yeah, like your everyday life. Like, were you were you in the industry or were you kind of? I was loosely in the. Uh, I mean, I've been in specialty foods for mm-hmm. most of my uh, recent uh, adult life. I guess for the last like ten years, uh, twelve, thirteen years now. I was uh, at Whole Foods doing coffee roasting and gelato before I moved to Austin. When I moved to Austin, I started working for a tea shop called The Steeping Room. I started as a barista, worked my way into the retail tea side of the business, and actually was managing the retail tea selection and uh, helping with choosing teas and things like that. That was a huge uh, factor in developing my palate generally because tea is so subtle that it really uh, gave me a lot of understanding flavors. And then I left uh, in 2012 for Black Star Co-op and eventually became the bar manager and beer buyer there uh, before leaving for here. So We've well, talked to a lot of Black Star alums. Like. Yeah, there's a, we have a nice little family, you know. Yeah. We've got, uh, you know, Fourth Tap and Blue Owl and now, uh, you know, Ripple's going from, from there. It's, it's pretty fun. Yeah. And it's, and it's amazing that everybody's still close-knit, mm-hmm. um, but has started at one place and then, like you said, just yeah. rippled out. There's room yeah. for everybody. It's Absolutely. Like competition right. or, cool. yeah. yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and I'm a... a a lobbyist. That's my day job. And uh, I had had some entrepreneurial experience in the past. I had a record label here in Austin in the late 90s and towards the end of my law school and, and, um, and a few years after that. And I was at the point where I w- was ready to do something entrepreneurial again. And I wanted it to be uh, somewhat creative and be able to get those yayas out, if you will. But uh, but I also wanted to do something that was really tangible and, and something I could hold. And because and, I live in a world of words and personalities and relationships and and uh, thought I could bring those relationships and, and that to bear. But I really wanted to do something creative. But the exciting part about it was doing something that uh, really has a product behind it. And so the genesis of this was I, I uh, was thinking about for me. Um, starting with the very basics of basics uh, of going into the distilling and trading, 
um, because, you know, like really starting with the apocalypse and moving forward, I mean, you can dress wounds with it, you know, I mean, you could, right. <laughs> uh, when I was in Germany, I looked around, I said, you know, Charlemagne came and went, all these people came and went, but they never messed with the brewery, you know, and so um, that was sort of my approach to what do I want to do next in this Makes life, sense. and so, yeah, yeah. so Absolutely. that was the genesis of it. And then you two collaborated or ran in, like became friends or... What's, state or what happened? Well, interesting. Uh, so uh, my co-founder and I were on a board of a local charity in town where uh, Anthropus Arts and we raised money to provide at-risk and disadvantaged uh, band students uh, private lessons. So we provide the private lessons. So with that single dollar, we would contribute to the live music community because we have all these amazing musicians, uh, Latin and jazz musicians that needed day gigs. And we provided the day gig, but we also provided that education component for these kids. And, That's really cool. And you really can't learn your instrument. Uh, a band director can't teach 80 kids yeah. several different instruments. You need that private lesson component. So we were a meeting monthly as a board and I'd kind of show up every month and start talking about how I really had this idea and I'm really thinking I should do this. And, and then a fellow board member uh, who was also in the lobby uh, was saying, well, you know, are you going to keep talking about this or should, should we do this? And, <laughs> and so we were like, well, let's, we don't know anything about this, uh, but let's treat it like the way we have treated legislation in the past where you don't know anything about the subject matter until... You get a room of experts and put them and, and figure out the procedure and the path mm -hmm. and and uh, keep asking questions. Just keep asking questions until you get answers. And, and our our philosophy was uh, and my thought process was, you know, we're just going to keep asking questions and getting answers till we look up one day and we will find that we're in a distillery. And uh, so the first step towards that. We started putting feelers out and uh, a friend of my, uh, uh, the co-founders, uh, he, he knew of uh, another team member of the distilling team who was just a very, had an advanced uh, knowledge of food and chemistry and brewing and might have an interest in distilling. And so that was the first uh, outreach. We, we ended up in his backyard and then Brian uh, and, and John, and I'm speaking about Forrest, were already a kind of a brewing team and creative team yeah. and group of friends. And, and when we discovered, we sat down and we said, you know, we're gonna try to figure this out, this piece out, can y'all figure, you know, or are y'all interested in this? Can we come together? And so they were the experts that we put in the room and, and, and to try to chart that path forward. And to speak to the talents, I mean, uh, Brian's ability, he talked about his palate, but he's being modest because he has the most incredible palate I've ever come across. Um, That's amazing. He really can detect subtleties. And so a lot of the formulations at Revolution Spirits, it's really a matter of flavor balance. Mm -hmm. and, and Brian uh, brings a lot to that. I mean, it's a team effort, but Brian has that ability to really dial it in. And then, of course, uh, the rest of the team has the, um, all their talent. It's really like the super friends. I mean, everybody has their their special component that they're bringing forces. to it. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. Um. Why? Why the name? Where? How did you come up with Revolution Spirits? Well, also part of the method of my madness was, you know, to one day, you know, starting with the apocalypse from the revolution. Right. So, you know, they, they, that means, but, um, but actually the concept, I mean, and I've been in activist politics for a long time, so I'm kind of carrying that thought process into the name. But whenever I pitched the name to every, everyone else and we, we coalesced her, uh, around it, um, was this idea of, um, of, speaking back to the uh, multiple meaning. One, a lot of the distilleries and breweries at the time, we, we definitely want to wave that Texas flag and of course revolution is part of our uh, tradition. Right. So Come and take it. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So it's a nod to that heritage and, and, and really is part of the culture of brewing and distilling in Texas. But also, even, and I would say even more so, the name defines us today by the revolution in taste. Mm -hmm. Because the, I mentioned the, the creative flavors that Brian has worked on and the team has worked on. It's really about what, what new things can we find? How revolutionary can we be? And it's not just a throwaway concept. I mean, we really are trying to, to um, uh, find new flavors and, and, and work with those and, and really kind of push, push the, the flavor envelope. Yeah. 
How um how long did you guys have the idea before you, it was actually a reality? Like before you we started talking about uh, a year before we broke ground. Yeah, I mean, so there's sort of the two separate sides of it, as he alluded to, where you know Forrest John and I had been homebrewing and kind of playing around with infusions and stuff, and not necessarily actively looking for a role in the industry, but actively talking about what would we do if we wanted to, you know. So that's probably two or three years before we met Aaron and Mark, who also had been, as he said, discussing for a few years prior to opening. That's crazy. Then uh, when we came together, there was probably, I'd say, a year. We I always say that we developed Austin Reserve Gin over two years. So yeah. it was about two years of from, hey, let's make a gin and then finding facility, finding equipment, capital, all of that, to eventually releasing the product, finalizing the recipe. Discussing what the flavor profile would be, and mm-hmm. and and, the, and and then also philosophy and approach to how we. Were yeah, I mean that was the the first conversation that really led us to think that this could work as a partnership. Uh, coming from two very different worlds, was we all wanted to take a different approach to distilling than the normal approach. Yeah. You know, most distilleries really focus on one, two, maybe even three products, and that's what they do. And they are a vodka distillery, or they're a gin distillery, or they're a whiskey distillery. We knew from the very beginning, we just wanted to make interesting stuff. And so we very much, uh, with John Forrest and I coming from more of a beer background, really appreciated that beer ethos of, let's have our core products, but then do a bunch of seasonals and one-offs. And that was something that, you know, they were also really interested in doing, this sort of revolutionary approach. So, uh, yeah, that was probably a two or three year period either uh, partially converging uh, at, at some point. Yeah. We've only talked to one other distillery, but like, what are the major differences in distilling to brewing? Like, why did you pick, um, you know, making gin instead mm-hmm. of trying to create a new beer or? Well, you know, there of course is that top level answer of the beer market is crowded. Um, there are, you know, hundreds of breweries in planning throughout the state and, uh, that wasn't the lane that Mark and Aaron had much interest in. You know, they weren't as much into, uh, interested in beers as they were in spirits. Forrest John and I had equal interest in both, if not more interest in beer. Um, we were making beer a lot at home. But we definitely saw this as an opportunity to do something that was... Uh, there were more roles to fill in the market, you know? We could make... I'm sure we could make another IPA and it would be an amazing IPA. But nobody was making a really, like, complex, earthy gin, in Texas. Nobody was making a coffee liqueur in Texas. Nobody was making an Amaro in Texas. So we saw a lot more opportunity to really trailblaze and carve out a niche for ourselves rather than trying to do a slightly different version of what everybody else was doing with beer. And for me, it was a being uh, humble and appreciating our skill set. The... We, we had good taste and, and had the ability to work within relationships and communities. I mean, that's kind of a communitarian approach to things. So, so uh, that's, that I think is reflected in all the partnerships that we have. And, and both, you know, that ethos is coming from the distilling team as well as what we were bringing to the table uh, as founders. And uh, uh, if you're going to go in the vodka market, that is so much about marketing, high finance, yeah. You know, and and we just that wasn't our bailiwick, and so the thing, the idea was instead of going in with the big business, big marketing, you have to begin with an unaged product uh, uh, because you have to start making something that can go to market. And uh, it was intriguing to us of, of well, let's start with an unaged product that that we can distribute, uh, demonstrate what we do with flavor and what our approach is to this industry, and gin was the perfect fit for that. None of us were necessarily gin drinkers, mm-hmm. uh, but but we have a, we had a, 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 an eye towards doing something different, and from you know a brass tax business aspect of it, I was thinking, okay, what do you do if you aren't the high finance, big big money approach, marketing specialist? Uh, well, uh, pedigree is something I understand. Having a reputation, word of mm-hmm. mouth, and so even though a lot of people don't like, uh, don't purchase gin. Okay, the wider market's not a huge market, but people like to talk about it. Uh, bartenders like to serve it, and you can really distinguish yourself uh, making a product like that. And we figured, okay, well, let's go that what I've called the pedigree route. Let's win everybody's confidence and create the goodwill for what we can do, and let that be the way we grow. Yeah. That's smart. So let's talk about your gin and your coffee liqueur. Let's dive into that. What all do you have in-house all the time? What are you currently a seasonal for you guys right now? Let's 
just dive in. Yeah. So the four core products are the Austin Reserve Gin, uh, Amico Amaro, mm-hmm. which is our take on a traditional Italian bitter liqueur. Uh, we have Cafecito and Chocolate Cafecito, which are two coffee liqueurs. The latter has cacao from a local chocolatier called Seriously Chocolate. Both are made with cuvee coffee. Um, we also have... Right now at the distillery, probably about six or seven of our non-distributed products that are available for sale. Um, we have a pecan liqueur that is made with unripe green pecans in the style of a nocino, uh, which is a traditional Italian uh, Amaro. We have uh, Eau de Vie, an unaged apple brandy made from a local cider, from Fairweather Cidery. And then we have our farmhouse fruit liqueurs, which are a collaboration with Jester King Brewery, uh, where we take some of their fruits from their fruited sours and make liqueurs out of them. We have a cherry and apricot yes. and a raspberry available right now. Um, we don't have, we're about to release uh, our fifth iteration of our single barrel series, which is a really fun project where we take uh, a batch of gin, we age it in a different barrel every time and we just use one barrel and that barrel's only used once. And so each one's really unique. The next one coming out is a Malbec barrel from Becker Vineyards. What? Yep. Oh <laughs> it's going to be a fun I'm so one. so excited. That's and, really uh, cool. And it came along really nicely. I'm yeah, excited. I really about like that. where it's at. Maybe we can uh, pull a little sample from the barrel. Woo! Yes, please do. I will say, all of the samples that we just tasted, I, I was blown away. I mean, I was expecting, you know, I'm not a big gin drinker. Um, so to sample your product blown, just blown away. I would say the thing I hear, uh, we all hear more than we ever thought we would is I don't like gin, but I like this. And that's really, really great for us. uh, As you know, gin being one of those spirits that not a lot of people drink regularly as, uh, as Aaron was saying. Um, and a lot of people who have like a, a real, bad relationship with gin because it's a lot of times like the first thing you steal from your grandparents liquor cabinet right <laughs> and so we have a ton, right. we've heard a ton of those stories right yeah. but people often say you know i can approach your gin just because we use less juniper which is yeah. a significant thing yes. uh yeah. it's still enough juniper to be a gin but it's not as juniper dominant mm-hmm. we bring the background notes to the forefront a little bit and then uh as you all notice when we tasted it the rosemary you all got the rosemary as a dominant oh, note yes. for me that's a really important component it adds a bottom note that a lot of gins don't have most gins are very high noted a lot of citrus a lot of floral, yeah, floral. um this has that base note so you don't necessarily need a tonic or a vermouth because you already have that herbaceous right. and so it is much more approachable to some gins when when we were at Talking about this, the request from the least sophisticated among the group, um, when my co-founder and I, uh, where we were saying uh, we would like it to taste good with Topo Chico and lime. Yeah, you which know, is how very I, you know, I mean... Aaron said none of us were, were big gin drinkers. I actually, I, I was a pretty big gin drinker, and gin and soda has like always been my one and one. You know, just order a beer or order a drink from somewhere that I don't know what the menu is. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's I mean that's the way I've always drank, and that's what we, yeah we wanted it to be simple enough that you could either drink it alone or with something just really light like a, a soda water, and it didn't need a secondary component absolutely. And and that rosemary element that's something that uh, well all the elements it's a very simple approach. There's only six ingredients. Uh, I've often described it in terms of it really reflecting the local terroir. Uh, I used to have a in law school I had a rented a home in Travis Heights, and I inherited a nice zero escaped garden that that had a ton of things in there and pretty much every family member at least of what's in our gin grew well in my backyard in south austin and 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 the rosemary of course is is quite prevalent around town and and i often thought going into this that my first big vision was i really wanted to create a new texas spirit like a gin the foundational what makes a gin a gin is the juniper and i wanted to my you know big vision the revolution area in me was let's create a texas spirit that has some new element uh that is has that kind of body grounding uh notes that that brian described and i would describe as medicinal flavor almost like that just sort of medicinal thing that that juniper has well in my mind rosemary has those same legs and and um so i was thinking uh, a while that maybe rosemary would be that foundational flavor um and have other thoughts of what could possibly become that for texas um so i'm not done with that part of the revolution um but but uh, whenever it got combined with the juniper and the other elements it really made for a solid gin. And that you can drink at room temperature. That's what I, yeah. I particularly enjoy. Yeah. Whenever I'm, I mean, yeah, you guys all just tried it straight room temperature in the tasting room, and it's uh, it's very clean and it's a hundred proof. It's a overproof gin. It doesn't drink like it at all. No, wow. I mean, 
I'm still standing, so. <laughs> Good job. Thank, thank you for that big lunch I had. Thank you for that big lunch I ate. We, um, well, I actually did a lot of uh, research about gin because I was not familiar with gin and realized there were so many types of gin. The Holland gin, London gin, aged gin. What do you... Do you guys put your gin in any specific category? Yeah, ours generally uh, is classified as an American contemporary style gin, which is a vague category, but as a category usually sees less juniper and more uh, of the background notes, a little yeah. bit more balance. So, um, Can you name real quick like every, yeah. every botanical in that? So it's a uh, uh, So our, our gin has six botanicals, juniper, rosemary, lavender, lemongrass, pink peppercorns, and Texas grapefruit. Delicious. Yeah. Well, and the nice thing about it is, uh, you know, so a lot of gins will have 10 or more ingredients. Mm -hmm. We're only using one flavor from sort of each area of the palate, you know, not uh, not to get too like complicated in the theory of of flavor, but, you know, you have one herb, you have one flower, you have one citrus fruit note. It really pulls the palate open. And so that's why even though it has a lot of flavor and complexity, it tastes really light on the palate because there aren't a lot of notes that bump up against each other. There's a lot, I always describe it as having a lot of space. And so you drink it and you're tasting a lot of things, but it's not crowded. It's not mm-hmm. overpowering. A lot of gins, it's just, it, you're getting beaten over the head with the botanicals. Right. This gin is really open and really easy yeah. drinking for something with so much complexity. And that citrus element creates, cuts that finish on it. Mm-hmm. makes it, you know, so that, I think that's what makes it so accessible, at least straight. Um, and at 100 proof of room temperature is you get that little citrus finish on the back mm-hmm. end. You do. And so you don't have a lingering uh, bitter flavor or anything like that. It just finishes it out and rounds it out. Mm-hmm. And it smells really good. <laughs> <laughs> it does smell really good. Yeah. Well, we have, a, um, we have a soap made from it as well. Yeah. Um, and then there's some tea biscuits that Skull and Cake Bones uh, makes uh, with the gin. Featuring the gin, and uh, the gin is in the icing, and then, of course, the botanicals in the tea biscuit are reflected there, the pink peppercorn and rosemary. And so, and the first time we were ever on a menu in Austin was actually on a dessert menu. Uh, Uchi I could had, see that. Uchi really? had prepared, a, um, uh, and so, so it was just an ingredient in a dessert. Um, but, but, and, and it's been used. Uh, but how many ice creameries around town at this? Yeah, point? quite a few. We've done a few collaborations. Uh, most recently with Lick, uh, they've done mm-hmm. something with Cappuccino and Austin Reserve, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Lick has had at least two products with mm-hmm. us. They did that blueberry summer. And then, uh, and then uh, Prohibition Creamery has uh, featured it as well. Mm-hmm. And so it really lends itself. I've been excited about uh, uh, how embraced by the culinary community our gin is because it really lends, you know, immediately. And that happened to Sasha at, at, at uh, Skull and Cake Bones when she tasted it. Her mind immediately went to what she could bake with mm-hmm. it. And That's it really cool. lends itself to that. So, Well, and the fact that you guys are in the culinary industry here, but you're also utilizing Jester King, Fair Weather Cider. I mean, you're, everybody's That's coming right. together. Um, Texas grapefruit. Yeah. It's really... Mm-hmm. Even the coffee. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean... Local. It's, cuvee. Yeah. yeah, local coffee, local chocolate. Uh, we try to source locally when we oh. can. Obviously, not. we use a lot of really esoteric ingredients, especially in things like the Amaro, that sure. aren't easy to find local culinary right. grade, like consistent quality products of. But, wow. you know, collaborating with local producers has obviously been a huge part of what we do. Um, yeah. Well, and I think that's a huge thing for people who not only are from Austin, but never moving to Austin. I mean, everybody's like, support local. Mm-hmm. I am behind that. Um, I know this podcast is as well. So it's, it's good to hear when people are distilling or brewing or making wine that that's what they're doing and yeah, it's local, good. Yeah. It's all local. And we, as we talked about at the beginning, you know, that that's part of the brewer culture as well it's part mm-hmm. of all a really small business food and drink yeah, oriented culture great. in austin at least from the producer's perspective and swapping uh materials expertise uh co-branding mm-hmm. all these things really rise up the whole community and you take that community approach and even in terms of texas spirits i've always been had the mindset of it's oh, us against the world so absolutely. when i talked about my dream of this core Texas spirit that would be identified and legislated as a Texas spirit the way tequila's legislated for Mexico or you know or Geneva and Holland or what have you um, the the uh, 
the idea, my, you know, my dream would be walk into London one day and say, I'll order a, you know, beat, whatever it is. And they say, which, you know, it's coming from Texas, but which one, you know, and, and they'd pull down from, you know, and to, to that end, my co-founder uh, uh, and I, both in the lobby, one of the first things that we worked on as well is getting together the Texas Distilled Spirits Association. And, and we were, kind of got everybody in the room. And of course, credit goes to everybody involved because they once everybody was in the room once or twice, it really uh, um, got, got its legs and underway. And now, you know, uh, everybody's chimed in and has different leaders ship and and a lot of newcomers uh, involved with it and that's the idea of why we all get together as distillers and realize that it is us against the world and we're you know we have a texas brand to demonstrate to the rest of the world absolutely i love it especially amaro's like you guys, I could not find another Texas. We're the only Texas tomorrow. Uh, well, there, yeah, the two Amari that we make, I believe. I mean, I hope that somebody else is working on one because it's a style I love. Uh, Amigo Amaro, I am pretty sure through we we really tried hard to find. Uh, I believe that it is the first wow. tomorrow made in Texas. Wow, that's yeah. incredible. And it's my favorite product we make, and it's, it's my wife's too. favorite product. So the 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 name Amigo Amaro, my mother's maiden name is Amico. And so it's partially, it's absolutely like my uh, favorite thing that we make. It was my favorite thing to work on. I mean, that, that product is the one that I'm the most proud of, excited about. And it's, it's uniqueness on the market is a big part of that as well. Nobody's really making this style. And it's one of those things, once you discover it, once it, it clicks for you, you will become, um, uh, well, I'll avoid words since we're talking about alcohol. I won't talk about uh, dependence. Um, uh, but you will favor it and return to it often. You will need it. Yeah. Thank you. But, but it truly, I and mean, what's great about it, uh, from a functional standpoint, um, uh, from a functional alcoholic standpoint, no, um, is that it's a great, um, uh, you know, in lieu of wine at night or a beer, it's, it's great. It's low alcohol content. So you pour an ounce of that over ice with a little Topo Chico or soda, and it's just a great sipper, and the complex mm-hmm. flavors, and it sweetens with it. It's just, I'm in love with it. It's just really, really, really good. And 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 I, I guess I'm spending a lot of time on it because I feel like I need to be an evangelist about it. Yeah, absolutely. People don't necessarily know no, to like yeah, it, yeah, and and yeah. and, and, and a lot then of people know. And it's truly it. an incredible product, and and um, and, yeah, we, and it, class of spirits, quite frankly. When we do the tastings uh, in the tasting room, I'd say it's about eighty-five or ninety percent blank stares when sure. you say it's an Amaro, and then ten percent of oh my god, you guys make an Amaro? It's <laughs> yeah. it's a lot. It's very either you have never heard of the style or you absolutely love the style. So it's one of those uh, really yeah. fun ones to make. Yeah, and uh, through through <laughs> through. Through Brian's creation of the Amaro, encouraging that, that's gotten me into the whole class of Amaro. I mean, it's yeah. just a wonderful... If we eventually uh, become just an Amaro distillery, I will not be disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> it's, happy, it's happy to come up with some more recipes. Yeah, it's it's just a wonderful thing. Yeah, yeah, that, that's incredible. I, I didn't know. I wasn't familiar with it, so I was blown away. And that's been an ice cream. Jim Mellie's, um, did I pronounce that right? Uh, they, they made a sorbet out of that, and it's been incorporated. Done. Where's my spoon and my cup, please, and thank you. Um, so, we're not asking about the first. Can you tell me about your first still here at your... Yeah, so we actually, we ruined, we ruined our first batch of gin. That was, uh, yes, most yeah. people do. No, it was the second. Was it, was it the second? It was the second, the second batch, yeah. Um, it was drinkable. So we originally, you know, we purchased this still that was going to be our production still, and it's um, an electric still, so it has electric heating elements in the same way like a water boiler would, mm-hmm. like a, cool, yeah. what you have in your house. Um, what we found was that because our gin has such a high mm-hmm. ratio of oils extracted from the botanicals, we were actually getting some charring. In the still, not like a fire or anything, right, but a that's burnt a nice note. Yeah, it, it could be in something else. <laughs> but it was, Texas, yeah. hey. So we uh, we ended up getting this this burnt lemongrass flavor. We isolated it to be in the lemongrass, and we just did not like it. We tried filtering. We tried doing everything. We we're just like, screw it. Let's just get uh, you know a couple of fifteen gallon stills, and we just moved over to this very very small setup, which we still use to this day. And uh, has every one of the bottles of uh, gin that have ever left this building were made on a 15-gallon still, which is pretty tiny for the That alone is incredible. Yeah. I mean, that's a that's pretty 
pretty big accomplishment. Yeah. Yeah. When they say small batch, it's a small batch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but but it is kind of a, a the, the story, if it can put you in the place of a, a small startup with very few resources. One of the challenges to this industry is that you have to get licensed. The dirt has to get licensed before any of them, anything else. So you're, you're, you're burning rent going, we need yep. to sell something soon. Everybody's you know, we need to make something. And we were really like, it was the timing was such as like, this first batch needs to be you know, it's got to make it's got to be <laughs> good bottles and, and exactly because you know we only have so much runway and so it was really a, a fascinating and now in retrospect you know um charming uh a week and a half of panic <laughs> around here yeah. um and That's yeah well, and, and it, because at the time it was uh, like a caramelized flavor and we truly did not know which of the six botanicals were doing it and right. so what brian ended up doing is isolating each of the botanicals and their own maceration with a tabletop still which we have and had its own mm-hmm. license for and we were you know so but the whole week we were like okay you know playing the game of clue is it the cook you know with the with the <laughs> candlestick in the library and and uh we discovered it was the lemongrass and it made sure. sense after we discovered right you know, and, yeah. and then so. it was the decision of do we want to keep this ingredient in that we really love or do we want to change the method of producing it right so mm-hmm. we changed the method of producing it that's awesome. You didn't let it discourage you. No, I we want to fuck all of that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Never get you down. That's cool. That's we overcame it. Yeah. That's awesome. Do y'all have any advice for anyone who's thinking about maybe getting into stilling or this industry? I, I would say growing? that the the most important things. I do talk to a lot of people who are starting either in beer or spirits. Um, I think the biggest thing is knowing what your goals are as a distillery. Uh, I think there are, and this might come across as disparaging, but I really think there are two paths that distilleries take. And one is to be a marketing company and the product you market happens to be a distilled spirit. The other is to focus on the product and make really crafty stuff and focus on those aspects of what yeah, you're doing. Right. I don't disparage anybody who wants to start, you know, just another vodka brand or just another whiskey brand and not focus so much on uh, the quality or the, the uh, not even the quality, but the craftiness of mm-hmm. making something new and unique. If that's the route you want to go, just know that that's what you want to do. Mm-hmm. To an extent, every distillery is a marketing company. Um, but it depends on what you want out of your distillery. If you want to be a craft distillery and really focus on the craftiness of your products, then if it's not you, hire someone who really knows that side of the business. Sure. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of people who, you know, either they do like a home distillation or they read a bunch or they taste a bunch of stuff and they think, oh, well, now I can make stuff. And they'll make stuff and it's passable. And because it's a pretty nation industry, you can get away with making kind of a, a mediocre quality right, product yeah. as long as your branding's really good and you have money behind it. But that's going to stop being the case pretty soon. It used to be like that in beer. Uh, you know, when I moved to Austin in 2008, there were a lot of breweries that were popping up uh, in those first years that I moved here that were making okay beer. And mm-hmm. they got by because there were only five breweries or so. Right, it was new. It was like, exactly. Oh, look at this. And you could, oh, we can go to a brewery. Oh, we want right. to support local. Well, now there are, I don't know, 500 breweries in Austin? <laughs> what, are we, what are we up to? Roughly. And so, yeah, you know, I've seen a, a lot of breweries have gone out of business or had to be acquired or whatever right. else because at this point, if you're getting into making distilled spirits, you need to focus on really just having a polished business model, whether that's based around having polished products or polished marketing or whatever else. That would be my biggest piece of advice. Yeah, I would totally agree. This isn't a, uh, the nature of this business is not a hobbyist. Uh, there's just not room for it. Right. You know, um, the the cost, uh, regulatory costs, uh, and and the realities of the distribution network are such that it just there's not. There's not enough there, yeah. you know, the margins. Uh, um, and so so just a healthy dose of, of reality going into right. it would, would be helpful because, you know, it is romantic and and it's uh, um, intriguing to think, you know, oh, uh, it'd be great to, you know, have my little, like a winery, but it doesn't really translate the way a ri- mm-hmm. winery does. It's, no. it's a lot and more. And even winery. I mean, a lot of people think, oh, because I can buy some juice or I can grow some grapes, I can start a winery. And you can, if there aren't a lot of wineries or a lot of really like particular wine drinkers in your area, you can absolutely get away with that. Right. But, you know, you're not going to make something that's blowing people away. And if you're right. not doing that, then 
why are you making stuff? Right. Or, or yeah, and it's not the type of break even or just mm-hmm. lose a little money every year industry the way maybe a winery could work. You know, it's right. it's 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 it's, it's a full time business. Yeah. And there's no getting there's no middle middle step. Right. Yeah. No middle model that I've seen work. Now, one thing that is developing in Texas, and I think distinguished because. You do have a distribution system and package, you know, the, the um, uh, package stores, which are the, you know, liquor stores. And there's so many layers of ways to try to, um, that are quite complicated in terms of really having an established product out in the market. Um, one thing that is exciting and maybe it will morph into allowing more craft distillers is the more that the tourist model comes on where mm-hmm. people can actually keep the lights on just by what they produce on site. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, it doesn't impact the economics of those other systems. Like it doesn't eat into the revenues of, um, the distribution or the, the, or, or, or liquor stores. It's a totally, it's like more like a winery, right? Yeah. Just, and, and, and you go by it and you're out and semi-remote part of texas and you can stop by the distillery and the economics work because you're able to buy a bottle or and and have that experience and some of the changes that have taken place in the legislature when we first created this uh business plan selling bottles was a hope but not a reality Mm -hmm. okay we kind of said on site uh, yeah yeah on on site and but but we knew that we, we, at least to do the craft experimental, everything that Brian's been describing about what we are, we knew that we, that would only be possible if we could sell on site. Sure. Because half the things he listed, we don't bring to the wider market. Mm-hmm. It's just a distillery so only. And a lot, of them are, a lot of them are things that people would never notice on a shelf and know what it is. So right. if it doesn't, you know, if people don't taste Amico Amaro... And they've never had that style before. Yeah, they're, they're not going to pick that up off, exactly. off the shelf. Even Cafecito, you know, you see a coffee liqueur on the shelf. Expectations aren't, you know, all that high that it's going to be like really good quality coffee and really coffee forward and not just taste like some instant coffee with some sugar. And so unless we get that across people's lips, we wouldn't be nearly uh, as well regarded as we are. And so, yeah, that model, we, so even now that we can sell bottles, we can only sell two bottles per person per 30 days. We make, wow. you know, we just told you, you know, we make four flagship products and, you know, somewhere between six and 10, depending on time of year, non-flagship products. So a customer cannot buy all of our products. They, they have to piece that out over like six you months. You have to come and get drunk here. And so, yes. <laughs> you no, you can't do the latter. You can come and enjoy it. Yes, yeah, so you can come and get almost sorry, sorry, to, sorry, a point, to a point. To a point where you're not intoxicated. Correct. <laughs> Uh, but, 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 and you know, and we may see in the future, uh, um, the ability to sell, uh, on site on Sundays and for little guys like us, that would I've like, just heard about that. that would you want, double. Do you want to give the, the potential listeners some, uh, people they can contact maybe in the, well, I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, well, no, I'll just say it's something to keep an eye on and, and let your legislators know if that's something that you'd like to see, have the ability to do because, um, we, uh, you know, our revenue would double. It's, it enhances the viability of having more options like little guys like us exist around Texas. I agree. And stop um, pissing off customers who come in on a Sunday and they're having some cocktails. They're like, oh, I love this. I want a bottle. I'm leaving town tomorrow. Right. Yeah. It's like, well, sorry. Can't I can't sell, sell you a bottle. I can sell you all the drinks. I can sell you 10 cocktails. <laughs> right, you can walk uh, but I can't sell you a packaged container that you can take home. Drunk, but I can't. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it it does it does frustrate the consumer, uh, and and it's tied up into some business models and politics. But but we think you know the bottom line is we're really different. That Sunday sales shouldn't impact other aspects of the industry, mm-hmm. right. um, and it doesn't cannibalize sales. It just yeah, we're uh, already um, regulated differently than yeah. retail it's, stores, it's, it's, so there's no reason why we shouldn't even if even if we don't pass anything for all liquor stores to be able to sell on Sundays, we should. You know, we're already regulated differently. We're already allowed to sell cocktails on site. We're there's already definitely a, a piece of the the code that completely treats us as a different entity than a liquor store there's no reason we shouldn't be able to also sell on sundays absolutely so we you know we'll continue as an industry having those conversations and working with those other you know because it's a mutually independent i mean codependent ecosystem right Mm we depend on liquor stores we depend on distributors we depend on restaurants and bars and, and hotels and so all these different facets of the industry um, you need to keep talking to each other and finding ways to enhance everybody's existence because we do believe that one, it's no threat for us to have this tourist-based uh, 
experience-based model um, of, of that would include Sunday sales. Yeah. And, and, and if anything else, it just enhances, it, it just creates more people that want to go to a liquor store than a grocery store because now they drink spirits instead of just uh, beer and wine, for yeah. example, you yeah, know? And, and so, so um, but, but it's, you know, the, those changes um, come slowly and can be difficult conversations, but... But uh, but but for, but for us, we would it would do a tremendous difference for for both the consumers' experience here and and uh, of course us as a business model and future business models for the other people we hope to sure. see pop up around the state and join the club. Absolutely. Um, you talked a little bit earlier, Brian, about um, marketing. You guys have a really simplistic look to your website, to your bottles. Um, who handles like all the marketing? Do you guys have a team? Or well, it- yeah, so it's mostly, most of the aesthetic was developed uh, as a team. I like to, I, I love telling the story of our branding because it's, it's fun. Uh, it's great. We went through, I don't know, a couple of dozen various labels. It was, it all focused on label design at first, right? Because yeah. we had to release the first product. What's the label going to look like? We'll let the aesthetic flow They're through. They're obsessed with like labels. Yeah. I mean, honestly though, like at Total Wine and More, you walk in there, you're overwhelmed by oh, absolutely. billions of bottles. But that's <laughs> the first thing we had to have because you physically have to get it blessed yeah. by the federal yeah. government right. before you can put it. That's the regulated oh, element so we figured of the alcohol that and let the branding and the aesthetic Mm -hmm. flow from the label Mm -hmm. and so we all you know we did dozens of iterations of the label basically we all hated each other's designs (laughs) exactly (laughs) we we couldn't afford to hire somebody uh we also don't even think we could have worked with somebody just because we we had so much of like no no it's got to be like this you know uh so we all hated each other's so it finally got down to like 11.59, 11.59, uh, we have to get this thing, we gotta, we gotta do this, right? So we're all sitting in this room, and we all have our laptops out, and we're all doing different versions of something, and somebody put something that's like, well, here, let me just, let me make this simpler, and they pulled, pulled a bunch of stuff off, and they showed him, like, all right, and then uh, Mark, the other, the other founder who's not here, he said, well, if we're going to make it simple, let's just make it fucking simple. And so yeah, we're like, yeah, all right, yeah. and we I all mean, just were like, oh, we all just got, gave each other this look, okay. How simple can we go? So yeah. all went back to separate corners of the room. We took everything off. We literally have only the things that are legally required to be on the label. Right. Twelve point font. No decorative anything. No. I do like uh, a twelve point font. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we had agreed previously on a font, which could have been that could have derailed the whole thing. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Uh, you you won you won the font. Yeah, Georgia you, 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 was. You, um, and, 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 and I secretly was all about negative space as yeah. an aesthetic. So I was like, uh, so I think procedurally I might've suggested, Very well. why don't we all have a veto? And then it resulted yes. in everybody vetoing everybody. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it was like, you can, you can only veto one element, but eventually we all have to have one um, oh yeah, gosh, so that led to a very minimalist aesthetic, which you know, once we saw it, it's that thing. Once you see it, you're like, oh my god, this is exactly great. what yeah. we are, you know? Yes. Because it, we, you know, the philosophy kind of comes next, but it's we sell you what's in the bottle, not what's on the bottle, right? Right. So we have a very minimalist aesthetic. We only give you the information that you need, mm-hmm. in the same way that our gin only has the flavors that it needs to have to fill out the palate. It doesn't have a bunch of excessive notes in it. And so it really did capture our philosophy in a way that we never would. If we would have given our philosophy to a brand uh, consultant or or designer, they they probably wouldn't have hit it. They probably would have done something better than 12-point font. Yeah, but it was a a very natural flow. Because that then, you know, because originally the plan was, well, we're going to have this label for the gin, and then each product will have sort of different branding. But we started to see a lot of distilleries that do that. And not love that because it, mm-hmm. you see, like, uh, I know that a few years ago, Treaty Oak did a rebrand for this reason, uh-huh. right? Because they made a bunch of different products. They all had very different labels. And so you don't know that that's all made from yeah. the same distillery. So if you love their vodka, you don't know that that's their rum. Uh, similarly, we decided, like, well, if we keep the same aesthetic and keep the same branding on all the labels, people will see a, a label they've never seen before. Right. And say, oh, that's Revolution Spirits. They make good products. I'm going to buy this. Smart. And so it worked out well. And another happy accident, uh, and the concept you mentioned, you're overwhelmed when you go into a, a large liquor mm-hmm. store uh, with all the labels kind of screaming at you or being busy or whatever. 
Um, if one thing you notice when it's on the aisle, um, it that negative space of that draws your eye to yeah. where the absence like, of, of stimuli is, and, and it's a little black hole this? to stare where into. <laughs> and then, and to your point of what is it, um, you to read it because it's only twelve point font. You have to pick it up, <laughs> it. and yeah, if you pick it up, it's you're halfway. Your you're halfway there. I mean, I'm like, pretty smart. I'm in, and, and I will. That's what we do. You're like, no, you're you're intrigued by it. You're like, hmm, this is different. Mm -hmm. I like it. Let's give it a shot. I'm like that when I go in. And I was looking on your website to where you guys are at, like what stores you're in. And I was blown away just by in Austin alone. I clicked on Beverage World Liquor and then Chris's Package Store Number 2. And just, (laughs) just in Austin alone, I was like, I've never even heard of Chris's Package Store Number Two, <laughs> but I thought, how cool is that to wear a local mom and pop liquor store? That's our bread and butter. You know, I mean, we, we do great. Are you, you know, kidding? That's yeah. amazing to me. Obviously, you know, we have to be uh, in all the big big box sure, stores, right. and we appreciate them carrying us and love doing tastings. Yeah, of course, like, to get a lot of people coming through, especially people who don't know the product. That's really fun. But the local stores around town have been our. I mean. That has been such an amazing uh, experience of having these small places that focus on local and focus on craft really embrace us. And, you know, having a friend say, oh, yeah, I went to this store and they just could not stop talking about you guys. Like (laughs) this person didn't know that I was with, you know, friends uh, with you guys or whatever. And it's that we wouldn't be anywhere without the small liquor stores in this town. That's one of my happiest moments fairly early on was a, a small liquor store walking in i didn't mean to secret shop i just kind of asked <laughs> i just i just asked what what gins do you have and he's like oh well, let me tell you my favorite and it's and he just started rattling off all the details about our gin and pulled it over nice. and so you get those low the the folks that again it's all about the relationships and the community and and you get those internal advocates in these stores because they sure. they they're like hey and that's the value of course of the small stores i mean um uh that you can go in and and when you go to a store like that you're often going in going hey I'm not here to get the cheapest bottle I can get. I'm in because I I want an ex- hey, what, what you got? You know, tell me about this. You know, and you often find people pretty enthusiastic in right. the stores. And, and the that's fact what that we need. You guys aren't. You're outside of Austin. You're in Houston. You're in Dallas. I mean that that yeah. was to me like hot damn. Right. <laughs> They're making a good product. I mean, I was excited to see that, especially for a a gin distillery. Um, from Austin, usually, you know, most people don't get outside of Austin with their product. Um, so to see that was really, it was incredible to see that. Well, yeah, and, and indeed, and, and you know, that's that's just a, a function of time um, and absence of a marketing budget. And, and so, um, but it is word of mouth and you get, and what we find is we'll pop, pop up, like we were just talking about in Denton today, that... There's certain products, especially like the single barrel series and stuff, things that and the the cafecito that has really caught fire. And they, and that's a college town. It's an mm-hmm. insular community right. yeah. where word of mouth and people can see what everybody's yeah. doing. And, and that's where those are little pockets like that is where we're really... Uh, catch fire we've done that in like Lake Jackson you know they discovered Austin <laughs> Reserve and they drink it like crazy down there you know because people talk in that small town you yeah. know and so um, and then we're excited about going into Colorado we just sent a pallet uh, to Colorado cool. and you know how Texans are when we get out of state it's like you know Those Superman we're no longer on we're, we're no on, 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 on planet Krypton we're just another guy but we go to you know go to Earth and we're Superman you know and, but but we want to have the Krypton stuff and, and that's the way Texans are in Colorado so Texas spirits do well there they do well they do do well there. yeah absolutely um so what are the tour times the hours of operation here if anybody wants to come through and check you guys out um let make a day of it absolutely yeah it's beautiful out here yeah, we are quiet. we are next door to a brewery last end brewing and uh Argus Cidery is just a, a few buildings over so mm-hmm. this whole area is called Craftsman Park we're out off of uh, Paul's Valley Road off of Fitzhugh, just up the street from Jester King, in between Jester King and Treaty Oak. So you really can make a day of it. Get a driver. Uh, <laughs> Get it. a driver. So Thursdays and Fridays, we're open from 3 o'clock to 7 o'clock, and Saturdays and Sundays from 1 to 7. Uh, depending on when you hear this, I'd recommend checking our uh, website and our Facebook for hours because those can change. And if you ever want to come by here for a private tour, 
or if you're going to be in the area and it's not a time that we're open, feel free to give us a call. As long as we're not too busy doing something that takes up uh, too much of our energy, we're happy to have you come out and show you around as much as we can to give you a quick tasting. But we have our full cocktail menu on those hours, Thursday through Sunday. Oh, yeah. We didn't even talk about the cocktails. Yeah. How do you guys <laughs> like them? Is everything good? Uh, clearly yeah. my glasses are good. The way I describe our cocktail menu, uh, and it, it's like you take the, <laughs> the highest brow mixologist experience that you would go with, you know, with the leather vest and the wax on the mustache <laughs> experience that you can get in Austin. Um, but with like cornhole and, and, um, and kids and dogs and and that, that, that beer beer garden experience, but yet uncompromising cocktails. Yeah. Very stripped down though, right? So we don't have, none of our bartenders wear suspenders. They're allowed to, but none of them do. We, we take that, that level of quality without the the pretentiousness of it, I guess. What do you guys got going on um, next? What's up next for you guys? Well, uh, when is when is this going to be coming out? This will be out around mid-May. Okay. So I think I can say this. We have a product that uh, is coming out that's very exciting, but it's we haven't announced it yet. So I think by mid-May it should be uh, off the market. So it's another collaboration with our neighbors at Jester King. Uh, they make what I think is the most important beer made in Texas, which is the Spawn. Spawn is a take on a goose, which is a traditional Belgian mm, style, okay. which takes three years of uh, wild fermented, of, of spontaneously fermented lambic and blends them together. It's sort of like the pinnacle of the Belgian brewing tradition. Right. Wow, yeah. So they make a beer called Spawn that is amazing. They make a bunch of different iterations of it. What we did was uh, we took the same wort that they use for the fermentation of that product right. and we fermented it on site using the same methods that they use. And so because we can't actually take the beer from them, we made the spirit in the same way that they make it, using the same sort of uh, wild culture that they use, and made a beer or a spirit that mimics uh, some of the characteristics of the beer. It's absolutely gorgeous. And so that is the thing that we're most excited about coming out, in addition to we got the next uh, single barrel series, as I mentioned. Is this the first whiskey? It, yeah, and it's so it's it's technically a whiskey. We call it a whiskey, but it's not what most people think of when mm-hmm. they think of whiskey. It's not an aged spirit. It's it's clear. Right. Um, it's a very different take on whiskey. But yes, very cool. This was fun. Thank you guys so it much. It was fun. Yeah. yeah, I learned a ton as always. Yeah, I did too. I was <laughs> really impressed, not only with the tastings, the equipment you guys i really enjoyed i had a great time today thank you so much thank you guys thanks thanks for coming nothing but good things for you guys yeah absolutely thank you looking forward to seeing you again yeah cheers (laughs) how awesome was that interview pretty fucking good pretty awesome i was really impressed yes very impressed um again go check them out uh we'll post them um more information about revolution spirits in our show notes um as always check us out on social media we also have a website uh blankoverboost.com we'd love to hear from you any feedback any people you want us to talk to next open for suggestions um otherwise thank you and we'll see you guys next month see ya peace out